How's it going, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Soapstone. My name is Jake, and I'm joined by my co-host, as always, Dave. How's it going tonight, Dave? I'm doing pretty, Jake. How are you doing, Ian? I'm doing pretty, Dave. It's a good day for a podcast. This was all and a ploy just to get you to say pretty, Dave, just so you know. You stepped right into it. Clipped it. Clipped it. <laughs> Use it in every fucking intro now. He, he doesn't have to do anything special for that. I don't need to be tricked. He's, he's perfectly attractive on his own. This is what I like about having that's the outro now. Like good guy friends. Is there's like, dude, you look good. I'm like, thanks, dude, you look good too. And it's just like this, mm. mm-hmm. just yeah. perfect. You can't yeah, see the hand gestures I'm doing, but it was it was an interlocking of fingers. Nothing, nothing too, too forward, too promiscuous, too sultry. I mean, unless. I mean, have you heard that voice? I mean, hello. <laughs> is this the ASMR podcast? No, I, I, I would never even <laughs> attempt to do that. Yeah. There's a very specific uh, audience. I mean, like, I appreciate ASMR. It's been a long time since I listened to it. But, like, for specific things. You gotta also be careful, because, like, I guess probably, like, 80% of that community now is, like, fetish stuff. Yes, but 100%. I was like... I mean, like a haircut or like shaving sounds or something. I like that. I don't know. It's funny um, you said that because I sent something to uh, our friend Dan a while ago, mm-hmm. and it was a dumb meme. And it was a uh, kid was kid was deep in what they're calling ASMR. Starts out listening to a pretty girl help him sleep. Three months later, he's got a Russian vampire twins doing his makeup just to get a tingle. <laughs> <laughs> That's really funny. <laughs> Yeah, it gets crazy deep into like the role play stuff. Uh-huh. Um for me though, twice with the haircut, like last time I was there, I've now opted in for like the hey, wash my hair so I'm not walking yep. around with like loose hair as I'm trying to drive home. Mm-hmm. Um and I really like that sensation of like getting your scalp massaged. Yeah. And it get, kinda gives me some of like those neck and like your tingles a little bit. I'm like this is just mm-hmm. cathartic and nice. Yeah. Also, I mean, my hairdresser, super attractive. <laughs> I mean, guys can be hot, and it's it's it's, it's, it's fine. We were there. Yeah. I was looking for the joke in my head. Oh, no! I would never, I would never subject probably anyone, let alone like esteemed podcast listeners, to like unprompted ASMR. And this isn't a bit; it's not leading to an edit or anything like that. Um, that's that's what you think. Because there's, well, I mean, for some people, it's actually basically a trigger as much, mm-hmm. not in like a good way. It's like a revulsion way, where it's just like, I, I'll like throw my headset across the room. So like, I'm not going to put people through that. <laughs> yeah, the phrase unprompted ASMR almost made me burst into giggles. Mm-hmm. I just like the idea of like you're gaming with your homies, and then one person starts whispering, you're like, what? <laughs> it, it, I, I think, I mean, it really throws people. I actually in Team Fortress when I had um I had a clan back then. We I had one friend in particular. I know he doesn't go by this name anymore, so I can I can uh, dox him. It was a uh, he went by Freshly Snipes back then. You know, great first <laughs> like person it. shooter name. Um, and uh, he uh, he he was very confident. In his sexuality, which I'm pretty sure he was straight, but like it was hard to tell, <laughs> like because he he definitely escalated everything to as much as it could be. Uh, okay, He's just yeah. like, oh, like how does he write? You, how does he reach out to you on Steam if he wants to send you a message? He's like, nice penis or whatever, right? Like <laughs> the, the reigning like, champ of gay chicken. Uh huh. Yes, that's exactly what he played. Um, but it was really funny because uh, I remember like one time we had a, an in-depth talk about like philosophy and like the effect of like religion and politics and stuff like that and he just like wrapped it all up he's like he's just like we should totally have sex or something like that <laughs> I was just like there it is there it is yeah Jake I don't know how to tell you this but your friend Freshly Snipes might just be a little bit gay uh huh yeah I, I mean like it really kind of seemed like it but I'm pretty sure he actually had a girlfriend so I don't know what was going on <laughs> I guess you could, uh, you could, do, you could be both, but you know, eh, whichever yeah. way it was. Team Fortress Two. Feeling. Team Fortress Two is a very fluid <laughs> experience for everyone involved. With the eight male characters and the ambiguous character. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
and then a spy that lets you assume a different role. Right. A different position on the team. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. People talk about it in like uh, in in Overwatch, right? Like one of the, uh, Overwatch two came to Steam, and they were talking about. Uh, oh, we were going to talk about a video game, right? Anyways, it came to Steam, and all the reviews. It has the it's the worst reviewed game on Steam, total, really, like, ever. Um, which is very impressive, but that's how much it got like review bombed, and a lot of it are just like, oh, the rule thirty four of this game is so much better than the actual game itself. Um. If you make rule for 34 for Team Fortress 2, it's very specific just by characters, right? <laughs> like, there's only so many niches you can kind of fit into that, but... Engineer that keeps the boots on. Yeah, I get it. <laughs> I get it. Yeah. Um. But speaking about class-based games, now maybe not competitive, what if we had, like, a cooperative class-based game where you got to do things... Gotcha. You're talking about invasion mode for Overwatch 2. No, I'm just kidding. This is this is a remnant joke. Yeah. Uh, so what's that game that we got here to talk about today? Remnant 2. Oh. Uh, <laughs> throws away Baldur's Gate 3 notes. <laughs> Damn it. I think Joke's if we, on you. If we, if we spoiled Baldur's Gate like off the jump, then I think more people would be upset than because of the ASMR. Yes, of course. So. Yeah, let's let's kill every community at once. Uh-huh. Do you like Baldur's Gate? Do you hate ASMR? This is the stream for you. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, so we played you... Remnant One back in the day. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. forget if we had an episode on that altogether. I think we I had like an we... episode on it. I think we did. I just don't remember gonna... if we had esteemed Ian with us for that. We should have. If we didn't, I'm gonna look it's it up. It's pretty fuzzy. Because we have excellent search engine optimization so there's really no way okay we're not on the first page (laughs) um that's all right we'll throw podcast in here um but at least we played it together right oh definitely i played with somebody i'm pretty sure it was you guys somebody so just dave and i did the record but uh i believe we played it all three of us together although dave reminded me very recently that we we didn't actually beat it together Mm-mm. we never beat the last boss i remember i beat the last boss but separately uh yeah but we i remember us being there at the end um just fighting the boss and getting frustrated with the mechanics or something else and after several times we're like hey let's call it here like we weren't having fun we weren't really progressing and then i think ian went back later and he's like well i'm gonna wrap it up and right. Jake and I just never got to that point. Just first if, tried it. If I'm remembering correctly, <laughs> the reason we stopped is because in Remnant 1, all of the bosses were basically Dark Souls bosses. Like, they, they run at you, they have big health bars, big dodge windows, you know, Dark Souls stuff. Mm-hmm. But the final boss was a mechanic boss, like, from Destiny or WoW or something else. Like, it actually had mechanics to do, and after an entire game of not preparing us for that, mm-hmm. we mm-hmm. kind of didn't realize it. Yeah. I gotta interrupt you with one thing. We gotta make a decision now. Is this gonna be a partial spoiler or a full spoiler episode? Full. Full. Alright. All right. Gl- gloves are off. Just like the ending for this boss. <laughs> 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 or the, the boss ending for Remnant 2. Ah, I think the boss for Remnant 2... I mean... I'll- there's previous bosses that had gimmicks like the cube. Yes. Uh, yes. But I, I think the difficulty spike on the final boss for Remnant 2 was astounding. It's we went through that game until that point and then just stopped in our tracks. Yeah, I feel like it's. So let me do the high level for anybody who's less familiar with this. Remnant 2 is Dark Souls with guns. That's the easiest comparison we can make. Third-person shooter, you can do aim-down sights. You have different options for melee weapons, ranged weapons. You can get um, different jewelry to kind of hone a build. Um, But the game is very punishing with certain things. Mm -hmm. Like, the bosses do not hold back. And if you're not finding a way to kind of cheese or get around that, it's it's brutal. And the last boss is super indicative of that because even with us... I think we had to abuse chain healing. Because I remember for like the one phase of that boss fight, it was constantly me just 
not shooting anything and just, you know, getting hit constantly and then just watching my health go back and forth. Yeah, I think both Ian and I had, um, like, feedback heals, basically, in effect. When we healed ourselves, everyone else got healed. Yeah, that um, last boss fight, I had the item that was like, hey, feedback heal, and uh, your healing resource, your Estus Flask, uh, mm. cuts in half, but it drops four of them on the ground. So I would right. do it, and then just run in little circles for the constant AoE <laughs> healing for everybody. Mm-hmm. No, it's it's pretty crazy. I, I do think talking a little bit between Remnant one and two, um, the build variety is a lot more pronounced in two to my recollection. Now it's been a long time since Remnant One came out, but mostly I remember just like you pick a gun and you pick a mod and you're pretty well set to go. Like I, I don't remember the classes mattering as much. But this one you could actually do melee and it was fun. Yeah, yeah I, they... I definitely would switch into melee builds for sections where mm-hmm. I kind of rearrange my gear for just, oh, I'm going to stun lock an enemy or a stronger enemy like a boss or just kind of go through chaff by just smashing left click or yeeting spears at people. Yeah, I've got to say, the moment that game really went downhill for me wasn't the the boss fight. It was when you two unlocked the giant spears that returned you when you threw them and could do uh-huh. um, friendly fire because... I ate more spears to the back, which knocked me down <laughs> more times than I can count. Yeah. No, that's fair. It was a very fun weapon, though. <laughs> and that's that's the other thing. A lot of the weapons felt good here. I can't remember. In, in Remnant 1, I felt like I mostly stuck with the same weapons throughout. And there was a bit of variety here. I think I kept the same offhand, but there were several. The game actually tempted me to switch weapons up, which is great. Like, Dark Souls does that, and I don't think Remnant 1 accomplished that as much for me. Yeah, I can't remember any of the weapons from Remnant 1, and which mm-hmm. is, you know, as this is a game does the Dark Souls things where they have boss weapons. Like, hey, you killed a boss, you can make a weapon out of it. So there were interesting guns in Remnant 1, but I can't remember any of them. Yeah. Yeah, it's all lost at time. But no, it was always fun, like, after we completed a section or did a new boss, to then be able to go back to town and be like, what is it, what does it do? And uh-huh. you either get, like, a cool shiny new mod, which you could equip, really, to any of your weapons, or you got a new gun to try out. Um, and it's fun to always theorize and build craft. There are so many times we go back to town after we had done, let's say, like, a half-hour dungeon, and then you guys would both pop off about theory crafting for ten minutes because we got one new item. And uh-huh. I was just like, yeah. Is, <laughs> is this is this the one? Does this make the bleed build possible? Let's find out, right? <laughs> I, I never fully completed that. Uh-huh. But no, it's really crazy. I, I know you guys both played more than me. I was watch. I joined Ian in some time after we had completed the game. And he was showing me all this cool stuff that he had found. And I was like, oh my god, like, how'd you find all this stuff? Mm-hmm. And then I looked at his hours played. And I was like, okay, that's fair. Because um, another big uh, part of this game is uh, RNG. As uh-huh. far as if I'm starting a new game, Ian starting a new game, Jake starting a new game, we're not guaranteed to find the same stuff in our respective playthroughs. So you can definitely find different things. So on one case, it offers replayability, question mark. On the other hand, I think it's a huge pain in the ass. Uh, <laughs> but I wanted to see where you guys landed on that because I, I know it can be pretty divisive. I'm fielding it to Ian first. Ian, Ian jump in with opinions. Uh, I liked some of it, and I disliked some of it. We're going to play both sides of the field here. Um, Coach loves that. (laughs) Sorry, Coach. I'm on my side of the field. The ball's (laughs) over there now. You're going to have to just figure something out. Uh Uh, No, I liked... uh, The game has something called Adventure Mode, which is basically once you've cleared a particular area for the first time, it unlocks it so that you could open up an instance of that world as if in your campaign you had gone there for the first time. Mm-hmm. And because of that, it re-rolls everything. So you could adventure mode, go in, keeping your campaign progress, but keeping your character, or moving your character process, progress to the new campaign, or the new adventure. And you go in, and you find things, you level up, you do all the normal stuff as you play, 
and then you could bring it back into your campaign. And maybe if you're looking for something specific that your friend told you about, you could just wipe that adventure again and re-roll it as many times as you need to get to it. So there's mm. some RNG protection, but it could also be like a real pain in the ass of, mm. you know, oh, my buddy's got this really good weapon and I'd like that weapon. It would go great with my build. Oh, how do you get it? Oh, it's, you know, one in 50 shot of this event happening times a one in 10 chance of this room spawning, uh, you know, and I just happen to be in the right place at the right time. Yeah. And that's not fun. I think there was, um, Dave and I talked about this a, a little bit a, a while ago, and I think like my comparison here is I recall when we were going through, I don't know if we were all playing Dark Souls 2 around the same time or, or Dark Souls around the same time, but Dark Souls is really early, so I feel like maybe we jumped on that train at different times. I think Dark uh, Souls I know for 3. three. I know for 3. Um, we kind of had this thing of like, oh, are we roughly at the same place in the game? If so, like, let's talk about this cool stuff that exists in all of our worlds, right? Like, maybe there's a quest or an NPC or a secret or something like that, and it was just it had big like game facts or cheat code central energy in like the early 2000s where you're just like, all right, I go to the library and print this out and bring it home because <laughs> how else are you going to figure it out? Um, and I, I appreciated that experience. And I will say that's difficult kind of to replicate with Remnant because each person's world could have different events going on. I specifically found some stuff in my world I really enjoyed, and I basically just forced through re-rolling the situation where I could bring you guys into it, but it's not going to be the same. One, I've already experienced it versus us playing together, and two, like, you guys know artificially, like, oh, we're being loaded into the world right outside the boss room or something like that, right? So mm -hmm. it's yeah, a different it, experience. It loses a lot of organic stuff in that way. Which for yeah. me, I think, is a huge driver for what I like in video games. It's that sense of exploration and discovery. Because, like, when we were playing through and, like, we found some cool shit, it was like, oh, damn, like, that's really exciting. Like, or that's a really cool mechanic for a boss. Like, uh, facing the cubes. Um, oh, my God. Because, one, I didn't know it was a fog wall until I just accidentally bumped through it. And then I was yeah. like, oh, buddy. Um, and it was unique, if nothing else. Yeah, and I, I think like we could describe that encounter too. I, I I think it would be worthwhile to maybe pick out a couple here that were impactful. And we've mentioned the cubes twice. So who wants to take a take a whack at the cubes? I can I can give a primer, and you guys can fill in anything I miss. Mm -hmm. um, the cubes fight is basically you walk through the fog door, and a bunch of uh, cubes, large ones, fall from the sky into the arena you're in. And uh, as it pans down into the arena, you realize you're in a sort of labyrinth of mm -hmm. tight corridors and sharp turns. And the cubes are large enough that they take up the whole corridor. And as you watch it, they start rolling towards you, or the first one you see. And your job is to shoot the faces of each cube, but they all rotate and spin and try to crush you as they go about their loops. Uh -huh. And uh, it's a lot more difficult than it both looks and sounds. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's like dungeon dice monsters, if you remember. <laughs> um, there was a labyrinth, and like they'd place the die, and then it would kind of unfold. But it, yeah, the cubes would essentially roll down, but if you destroyed one of the faces, it would kind of make a divot in the cube. So as that divot came down on top of you, it actually created like a little safe space. Right. You're like, oh, I'm safe here. And then you try and see what other cubes are doing and where you could take a uh, pop shot on one of the exposed sides. And then occasionally some of them would change their pattern or orientation. Um, mm. So it becomes a game of managing like, will I die instantly here versus like, where can I kind of get some damage in? Because like, yeah. there are... I think four or five cubes on the ground. And there, there's some also that are just floating above. Mm -hmm. And they're also shooting, the ones above are shooting projectiles as well. Yeah, just to keep you from standing in one space too mm -hmm. long. Mm -hmm. it, it'll hit you like a laser wall, which you can heal through if you've got a heal on the bar. But you, yeah, it's inconvenient. 
I mean, probably one of the standout fights in the whole game, though. Like, mm-hmm. I can't think of any fight that was as unique as that fight. Yeah. And, it literally was a puzzle fight. And we were all cheering, too. Like, we were miserable because we kept dying. But <laughs> I don't think any of us were sick of it by the end. It was an exciting battle. Back right, I think, was the most misery-inducing. Literally the back right one, which is exposed for, like, two rotations of the cube. It's, oh, I fucking hated that one guy, yeah. Yeah, Dave got it, and I was like, what's what's the problem back here? And then I realized it's, like, the last phase is almost entirely obscured for, like, 90% of the cube's rotation yeah. pattern. It's if you blink, you, you will miss the shot. It's obnoxious in single player, too, because I went back through that one. I did that one in solo. And there's fewer faces to break. That's how they kind of scaled it. Mm. Um, but that is one of them. <laughs> so <laughs> no, no mercy. Um, I it's do want to circle back to though. yeah, uh, more encounters and stuff. But do you think that the game would benefit from? So like, let's take one of the worlds, like the Fey world, where it's dealing with um, elves and drow. It has a lot of cool stuff going on in it, but it's it's kind of broken up so like you can essentially have a couple different world bosses per world mm-hmm. uh, do you think it'd be it would be benefit it to kind of have those together in some way so like the world itself is essentially bigger because it's including everything hmm. i kind of like how they do it now actually like i i it's a design choice uh, it's definitely both their strength and their weakness. Because the weakness is obviously you're not going to see everything the first time through. Mm-hmm. But when we played through the the Fey world together, we got the two kings storyline. And the first time I rolled that in adventure mode, it dropped me somewhere completely different. And it's like, yeah, you got to kill this person called the Nightweaver. I'm like, who the is the Nightweaver? Uh-huh. What is going on? And it dropped me in an asylum with mental patients and screaming, and it was a completely different vibe than this royal palace we were dropped into the first time. And it got a lot of goodwill out of me. I really, really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. But I could have missed it. If I didn't re-roll that world, I could have just missed the best part of it, in my opinion. It really is. They they put a lot of faith in the fact that people are going to continue to play the game or they're going to re-roll. Because if you play a game, if you're the type of person to play a game through once and then once you see credits, you're done, like you you experience 25% of the game or less. Um, mm-hmm. Story-wise, you probably experience most of it, but like you don't play this game for the story. I don't remember anything from the story of the first one. I remember next to nothing from the story of this one. <laughs> Like I, setting, I only it remember does better. one thing from from this game's story, and it's because Dave clipped an audio clip and sent it to me afterwards. <laughs> because some of the, I don't want to say worse voice acting because you know that's rude. Mm-hmm. But one of the moments where I'm like, I can't believe that made it through the studio and somebody okayed it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when it comes to voice acting, it's like it's the director as well, right? Yes, it's like. I think oh, yeah. the character direction for everything is poor. Mm-hmm. Like, there's some games. I mean, obviously, I'm also playing Baldur's Gate 3 kind of alongside this. So, I have some very high regard for NPC design and how interesting they can be. Uh, and this feels like the complete opposite because mm. the NPCs, at least for me, were not interesting. And I actively disliked so many of them. Yeah. Like, there's a mechanic who's actively. I feel like her personality type is like, hey, we need you to play a bitch. Be a bitch the whole time with no <laughs> redeeming qualities. We won't give you a backstory. You're just an, you're just a bitch. And I was like, oh, cool. I'm really looking forward to upgrading this thing. Because uh, they're like, what do you want? I'm like, uh-huh. all right, dude. Like, you don't have to be like a super bubbly character. But like, if your personality is just being an asshole the whole time, eh, it doesn't do it for me, right? I almost feel that one's worse. I want to jump in because I actually think I actually think it's worse than what you're saying. Because one, if you go through her dialogue, you do learn that she's like basically putting on a facade to be an a hole. Like she doesn't actually consistently want to treat you that way, or necessarily she doesn't think it's necessary to always be a jerk to you. 
but she like does it anyways because who knows like she's just trying to put up this facade but the problem is that only matters if there's some payoff character wise for the facade otherwise there's no difference between the character you portray yourself as mm-hmm. and your character right like there's nothing there's no depth to it like oh yeah, you learn that she's playing an a-hole it doesn't matter she never stops playing an a-hole right like <laughs> yeah it's funny you mention it because I, I think you've got it on the nose that all the human character writing is is pretty piss poor uh-huh. Like, because the pan in Yesha, which is like a jungle-type planet or plane, uh, and they're all, you know, like satyrs, they're written very interesting. Like, I like listening to their stories. I like that they did accents for them and, you know, spiritual ritualistics and all kind of stuff, and I enjoyed it. Like, I, I liked listening to it. I didn't skip through dialogue. I enjoyed it. And then I'd come home and someone's like, yeah, everything's been changed since... The event happened, uh-huh. but we can't talk about that today. This brings me back to my theory of maybe they just don't know how to do it, but I have this crazy theory that they specifically do that as a juxtaposition because the basic world you're in is so fucking bland, washed out, and boring. Like, it's just post-apocalyptic. There's rust and stuff, and there's rocks everywhere. Blah, 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 blah. But you get to go to these fantastical worlds, which are so unique in comparison and so stylized. Like when yeah. we went to the fairy castle, it was really fucking cool to explore around. You're like, I love the theming here. Very cool. You go to Yesha, they had this cool jungle vibe. Like, I dig it. Hell yeah. You go to uh, Nerud and you're like, I should watch The Matrix again. It was good. <laughs> um, like they do such a good job at some of that theming. And then you come back and you're like, Ah. <laughs> I'm back on Earth again. At least there's a firing range. But other than that, there's not much of a reason to be to visit Earth. I mean, like part of the reason I think I think we spent a lot more time, if I recall correctly, and again it's been a while since Remnant One. Um but you spend so much more time in post apocalyptic Earth in that game that I think they kinda wanted it to be the grounding central hub in this one, but I agree. It's just not nearly as interesting as the other settings. Uh, there are other settings that were 10 out of 10. Um, mm-hmm. The only one that I eventually got sick of was uh, Nerud, which yeah. is kind of this future techno matrixy, grim dark future. Which is really cool in the specific level areas, but in the open world, it's a fucking desert. And yeah. it sucks. It's it's a desert literally surrounded by obscuring death smoke, which Hey, is should not we put up an invisible wall? <laughs> or should we make you vomit randomly? Yeah. Oh yeah, put up the vomit wall. They'll love that. It's like and hey. I'm I'm about to get pissy and on a tangent. <laughs> so Remnant has some cool stuff in the game, for sure. Uh, there's some things I like about it, and we'll probably talk more about those. As far as, like, here's uh, an archetype you can get, or a class you can play as. Or here's some cool gear, right? And some of it, it feels rewarding to find. You're like, oh, I explored here and I found something. Oh, cool, that's really nice. And it's not necessarily RNG-based. Awesome. There's specifically something in Nerud, which we just talked about the vomit wall, right? Mm-hmm. There's a specific part in the vomit wall, which you wouldn't know from looking on the outside at all outside of hours of trial and error where you can run through and find an item but it disincentivizes you from finding it mm-hmm. what the actual fuck i think that is shitty game design yeah there's uh, uh, uh this was i showed dave this because someone showed this to me mm-hmm. um and i mean that's that aspect's cool this whole word of mouth view is under the truck thing going on where oh someone found this for once and now everyone can chain it to someone else yeah but this was a case of either a you stumbled on this on your first time you ex- walked outside and oh man look at this this is so cool and now i have to spend the rest of the game trudging through the vomit wall to see if anything else is hidden out there uh, pro tip there's not uh-huh or b you'll never find it because you've already spent an hour checking one particular corner of the vomit wall and you're like, well, they're never going to put anything out here. So you'll never go out and check that area either. Yeah. 
I mean, it's I'm 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 conflicted on this because I hate it for a game that I'm kind of playing through. But I will be honest, it's hard to criticize this without also criticizing Dark Souls for doing the exact same thing with invisible like, walls. Yeah, with Ooh, either yeah. illusory walls that have no tell. Yeah, like some of them, some of them have tells. Other ones really just don't. Um, or just other things that that game hides as secrets to the extent that it's obscure enough that you're only really finding it with a strategy guide. And like for Elden Ring, I even put like completing a side quest under this. Like you're mm-hmm. going to use a strategy guide because otherwise you can't find the character. So I feel like it's not really clear where the line should be on obscurity. Um, and if you like to play games more rapidly or you know get through things in one pass through then there is definitely some stuff in this game that's going to piss you off um but like we were mentioning the rng aspect and like before we go too far away from that i think now that i've had some time away from it (laughs) i think i appreciate it more for the decision to show you 25 percent of each world for every run because other games just aren't doing that and from the from the outside perspective it's like looking back on it, um, you got you kind of have to be brave in order to be like, "Hey, we're going to create a lot of content for our games. Are all the players going to see it? No. What percentage of players are going to see it? We're not sure, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, um, uh, that's that's tough. There's a reason all of the endings kind of converge, or all the content converges in Mass Effect Three into like console messages you get on your computer. It's because <laughs> you don't want to put a lot of content into stuff people aren't going to see. End rant. Uh, you reminded me actually. The, the best comparison is I can't think of the name of the area, Dave. Dark Souls One, the lake that you can miss, that's under behind two separate invisible walls. Yeah, yep. under Blight Town. Yeah, it's, is it a- Ash Lake? It's, I, I think it's Ash Lake. Yeah, that sounds right. I was like, kept wanting to say right. Ashen, but that's because yeah. of the Ashen one, but not the but, lake. <laughs> Like you said, it takes a lot of bravery for some some dev or some team lead to say, okay, guys, uh, our zone that we've been given is the Ash Lake, and mm. this is what our vision is, and this is what we're going to put in here. Uh, one of the major characters, his quest ends down here, so we really got to pull it together and get this get this well. All mm. right, um, so we're going to be front and center. Nah, you're going to be behind not one, but two separate invisible walls. Right, no one expects number two. So if they manage to get to the, you know, we didn't cut make the cut for the first invisible wall area, that's easier to find. you got to go beyond that to get to us, mm-hmm. and then down a t- trench. Like, I think Dark Souls. Guts. I think Dark Souls 2 literally has a door that you can only conventionally open if you hit the door with a weapon, which causes the enemy to aggro on you and open it from the other side. Like, there are still, there's silly exceptions, like, and examples of this in Dark Souls. Okay, I, I see what you guys are saying, and I agree with that part of it, in that I can't blanket say, this is bad, mm-hmm. but I think, I mean, obviously my bias is, I really like Dark Souls, uh, because it has so many other good aspects, so when they do something like that, I'm like, oh, you guys are cheeky, and that was creative, uh-huh. versus, if I'm already frustrated with other parts, I'm like... Why are you making me do this? Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. It's like um, if there's somebody who you don't like in like an associated friend group, and you're like, I really like hanging out with. I'm trying to think of no overlapping names. Um, hmm. Billy Bob. I feel like that's a safe one. Yeah, no one has that name. Nobody has Billy Bob. Um, if you're hanging out with Billy Bob, and you don't like something about his personality, you tend to not like other things about them as well. To the point of like, you just hear them breathe, which is normal. But you're like, mm. oh, fuck him. He's breathing weird, you know? <laughs> Mouth breather, yeah. <laughs> Man, our, the Southern American demographic we have is just oh, going no, down. That one dude, Billy Bob in Missouri, is so upset uh-huh. with you. We only use that as an example because we know you can take it. It's because of your strength of character and fortitude. <laughs> um, I don't know, but like, I think it's fun to have some secrets. I don't want to mm. rule that out entirely. Um,. It's just like the example I was talking about on Nerud was a whole character class. Yeah. A whole character yeah. class. And yeah. a lot of the ones like by default, like you get three and then it tends to be like eight. And some of them are like, okay, you have to play to find them. That's fair. Mm-hmm. And it might not matter where you don't need to find them to really 
progress and beat the game right. or like some of the gear you don't necessarily need to find everything um but my other point about it and this is kind of uh, diverting a little bit is there's too much stuff in the game that i don't give a shit about that i That's feel fair. like yeah. it kind of pads out in a weird way like let's give you jewelry for um less spread on your ranged weapons Mm-hmm. I don't know anybody who's ever given a shit about that because if you play a game with guns, you're like, I typically know how to shoot stuff. Yeah. Um, you it, say about that, but there's that one guy with an LMG and he fires it like a laser. <laughs> and if you ever run across him, you're going to be very impressed. Cut trees in half with it. Uh-huh. Yeah, like they, they really did have some cool stuff in it and it was fun to find like a new item and then theorycraft. Hey, what can I use this in? How are they going to synergize together? Yeah. But then you'd get like a, hey, uh, do you want a whole trait about moving faster while you're ADS? Or you can climb ladders faster. I'm like, who is this for? <laughs> who is it for? Ian's Listen, ready to throw down. <laughs> I'm not going to have you disparage the aim down sight one because that okay. actually, I started specking into that. <laughs> it turns out with a few points in that trait, it's kind of useful to like be able to aim down sights and get in your DPS while you're actively dodging things because mm-hmm. you're just about as fast aim down as you were standing that kind of came in handy the one that makes you faster when you're going up and down ladders yeah that one's nutty i no defense for that it's actually this is a critique i'm going to carry over because i remember this from remnant from the ashes as well and this is something that like they don't have a, if you rip off dark souls you have to do the things dark souls did well to a certain extent at least hit like 80 80%. And like I just think about how there are a lot of rings in Dark Souls, especially as you go to like two, which I think give you four ring slots, and then they carry mm-hmm. that through for three, if I remember correctly. Sounds right. Like there's a lot of rings, but I remember like rings having massive effects. And most of the time it wasn't like just a numerical nothingness, right? Like if I have a ring that gives me reload speed. Uh, I want like 20%, like 20% reload speed. I do not want 3% per stack decaying every five seconds. Like that that doesn't mean anything to me, right? It's like Dark Souls had the, uh, Dark Souls 3 had the clutch rings where it's like, hey, this is almost like a 40% increase in holy damage or whatever, but you're going to like take 30% extra damage. And so like it had these just massive differences. They were impactful. Yeah, they were impactful. It mattered to equip it right and there are some some gear there are some pieces of gear like this i think some of the necklaces stand out and there's a couple rings we mentioned Mm -hmm. the healing feedback ring where it's like this is pretty much build defining keep that do not remove that one from the game but there's a lot that you could and especially because it's just it's also kind of a pain to deal with how the inventory Mm -hmm. and you know lack of a build system but once you have like 30 plus rings to sort through, give me builds. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> give me... To, to the, the listeners who have not played Remnant 2, you might think that it's like nitpicky to talk about, oh, there's too many rings and they don't have enough impact in build quality. But you don't understand quite the magnitude of the number of rings are in the game. By the time we stopped playing, I think I had about 70 different rings. Mm-hmm. And... I know for a fact I didn't find all of them, so I know there's more than that. And it's worth noting, there is no way to search through the rings, and they're not visually distinct enough to be able to pick them out at a glance. So every time it was time to look for a specific ring, it was read the description of every ring and go down the list. Now, there was a favorites feature, but when we first started playing, it wasn't functioning properly. Mm Mm-hmm. So maybe they picked patch that up, and I haven't tried it since then. I don't know. But at the time, it was a big frustration point, and the vast majority of rings did not have an impact on whatever you were trying to do. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's pretty much it. They could have cut 75% of them out, and it would be fine. I would rather have upsides and downsides attached to rings and then just make them a lot more powerful, because, I mean, this isn't... You don't have to balance for PvP, right? So why why are you making numbers small, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Make numbers big. <laughs> it's <laughs> it's just more fun. Um, I th- also I thought, think that the numbers should actually be big. 
Yes. Because I don't want to divulge into like this whole other point, but um, as I was saying before, the game is difficult as far as bosses. Um, but the best form of heal or damage mitigation is a dodge roll. Mm-hmm. If you miss one of your dodges in like a key moment in a boss fight, you're fucked. Um, and you can like, oh, I'm gonna invest in damage mitigation and get bulwark stacks or something, and it doesn't matter as much. Like it, I think you would need a whole build dedicated to that for it to be impactful at all. Mm-hmm. Correct me if I'm wrong, because I know you guys have tinkered around a lot as well. But to me, it really seemed like you really just needed to time your dodge as well, and then have an actually good persistent heal. Yeah, there's a and reason yeah. it's like similar to the the wood grain ring from Dark Souls, right? Like it increases your dodge distance or something. Yeah, yeah. longer iframes. Uh, I played around with. It's funny we're kind of dovetailing on different topics here because that same class that we had to dig through the vomit wall for. Uh, was the engineer and its trait that it unlocks for you to spec into um, is for armor to be better, like more effective. Right. And by the end of the game, I had put together a build that gave me 75% damage reduction, like just really, really big damage reduction at the cost of like two or three of my jewelry slots worth of, you know, utility. And I still noticed half my health or a quarter of my health disappearing with every time I got hit. So I'm sitting here saying, why Why am I doing this when I could just devote myself entirely to damage glass cannon and just dodge better right. and get more out of it? Yeah, I mean, to the game's credit, they, they let you make some of those decisions and... I don't know how all the math works out. Like, there's probably some some broken builds with bulwark to what Dave was saying, where you just have like a crazy amount of damage resistance. I know they nerfed something at some point actually because it was like providing a lot more survivability than <laughs> was intended at like the highest difficulty, and people were like, "Why did you do this? This is how we play the highest difficulty." <laughs> but you know, I mean, fair whatever they can manage their difficulty. Um, We've kind of been shitting on the equipment here, and as for as little impact as the rings and amulets gave you, the actual, like, the weapons and the weapon mods were pretty cool. Yeah. Oh my god. Uh, yeah. Did you guys have, like, a particular favorite or something that jumped out at you as, like, oh, you, you picked up this weapon, you fired it once, and you're like, yep, I'm sticking with this. I mean, I'm such a basic bitch when it comes to these games, as you guys know. I will typically find a weapon I can get decently early that's viable and run with it as long as fucking possible. Right. So for me, it's the I Dark Souls strat. Yeah, it's like in Bloodborne, I'm like, this hatchet seems to have like a decent animation. All the way. And then, uh-huh. uh, so in here, I got like a long gun that I think Ian turned me on to because he was actually getting some pop shots with it. I was like, okay, let me do that. And then I really just stuck with it. It had decent ammo capacity. I put extender on it for more ammo capacity um, for the actual rounds it would carry before I had to reload. And I just got better at clicking heads and it just did consistent damage. Yeah. Yeah, I um I got distracted. I had to clip. Ian turned me on there. Uh, so I only caught half of what you said. But um my answer was uh is, is gonna be the the bow. I really appreciated the bow. Um a lot of fun really good solo when you can kind of maintain the pace you're approaching enemies at and then it had like a tempo feature which i think was like really good game design where it's like if you uh unload if you release an arrow when you perfect draw it basically like as soon as you've drawn the bowstring back um it had like increased damage and like crit chance or something like that and so you were incentivized to just like be accurate with the the weapon obviously but also timing the attacks with the weapon um which is like a really cool meta meta game or like mechanic built on top of it that i was terrible at but i appreciated (laughs) that it existed um and it also had it didn't have a boss weapon slot which is like a blessing and a curse because the boss mods can be um really cool uh but i like the versatility to be able to pick whatever i wanted to put in there yeah, I know um, 
some of the, the more fun weapon mods we found were a giant fire tornado that murders everything uh-huh. and sucks things into the center. Um, I, I, think I ran with broken. it for a while. It <laughs> it's very does, broken. It does a lot of damage. And it, it was probably the primary source of team killing for the first half of our playtime. Mm-hmm. It doesn't help that it's also CC and it pulls you in. So you can't mm-hmm. really escape as a player. Yeah, it was death sentence. Yeah. But it was uh, really fun to use that on bosses, especially uh-huh. if you put points into AoE, which is a trait you can invest in. Because oh I would gosh, throw it on a boss. A I'd have the Sun God Talisman for extra burn and fire damage. I'd have other things for mod generation, so uh-huh. as it's dealing elemental damage, it's recharging me to use that ability again. And then I'd be like, surprise, motherfucker, and throw out another fire tornado. And it was really fun. I specifically spec'd out of AoE range because of that ability like i i don't know if it's visually bugged or what but the burn range is definitely more than the tornado itself (laughs) and i was like this is a death sentence for me (laughs) if i if the enemy manages the close distance on me i will die yeah yeah Um, it's worth noting uh if you directly tag someone with this bullet because you do have to shoot it out yes um if you hit the ground it's fine uh, enemies can wander into it. Maybe they wander out. Maybe they don't. Usually they burn mm. to death. But if you tag someone directly with it, it will proceed to chase them uh-huh. um, with a will. And if they manage to start running, like, you know, towards you, that's a problem because, again, death sentence. Yeah. It really re- reminds me of the old army axiom uh, friendly fire isn't. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that, that's definitely, <laughs> definitely what it was. Um,. But it's a great ability, and I think Ian and I, I, I mentioned uh, when we were playing through, the strat for single player was like, ignore enemies, treat it like a speed run until you get to the end of the area, turn around, find a little corner, like a little a corridor or something if you can, drop your tornado there, kill everything, right? Because it's all <laughs> chasing you through the level. <laughs> um, very effective. You just wait for the bottleneck. But that was fun, right? Like, the reason yeah. I, I love that one is because it's so impactful. You just I'm still talking about me. rings. <laughs> <laughs> you just reminded me of probably one of my favorite things regarding our time together. And it wasn't until someone else corroborated your story that I believed you. Uh-huh. We were going through an area that was very reminiscent of, like, uh, Yarnum from mm. Bloodborne. Old London. And we're going through, like, a sewersy area where there's water on the ground, like a low-lying trench. And there's these semicircle grates in the walls with bars on them. Mm-hmm. And we've seen them. We see them everywhere. They pop up every five minutes. Well, all we see, J- uh, Dave and I, is Jake's life bar goes to zero and Jake screams. <laughs> which is not a typical reaction in this game. And I'm like, what? What happened? We didn't even get a chance to pick you up. He goes, I went to grab an item in front of one of the grates. Something grabbed me. I go, what? And the thing was, we would keep finding grates with items in front of it, and we were afraid of them, and eventually Uh one of us was brave enough to, like, run out and grab it, but nothing grabbed us ever again for half of Mm -hmm. our playthrough. And it wasn't until, I can't remember if it was I looked it up, or if it was our buddy Dan is like, Something just grabbed me out of a grate. I'm like, oh, I guess Jake wasn't a liar. <laughs> uh-huh. I mean, this is actually two. This is the second example of a class technically being hidden behind this, right? Because that's how you get alchemist. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, which is also impossible. Another kind of point against the game. It's impossible in multiplayer because when you get grabbed in single player, I, I had this happen in the world later. If you get grabbed, it, you get the little pop up like your checkpoint is saved. And that's concerning when you die, but it's because you get abducted. Um, also something that happens in Bloodborne, actually. <laughs> oh, wow, yeah, good point. Really wearing their influence on their sleeve there, huh? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't think the monster had a bag in this case, so that's that's where they're innovating. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, no, I, I love the Kinder Catch. Um, oh, yeah. I mean, that's what it is. <laughs> it is yeah, I, I, I don't have is. an argument. <laughs> man if you want to make a monster though that is that is a monster yeah do you think they improved in dark souls 3 when instead of a man just snatching you in a bag you have to voluntarily climb into a cage on a man's back as he leaves 
that's the dark souls thing though they're like hey do you want to be like in one of the weird covenants <laughs> like do this weird thing take a nap in a tomb or a tomb yeah go see uh-huh. what's up Join join the covenant. It'll be neato. <laughs> you know, like, you know. But do you guys remember any other uh, fun instances of whether it was a major boss or an area or uh, somebody being marked off the map? I mean, for me, we touched on it at the beginning, and I think it's kind of poetic to touch on it near the end. The final boss was really really difficult but also is, really yeah. really cool um it was a difficult fight and once you beat it it has a phase change and the new phase is radically different stylistically than the first one both in attack styles and uh, arena design yeah and then 10 15 seconds into the new phase it cuts back to the old style in almost like a glitchy transition like it's mm-hmm. you know a glitch in the matrix it and literally fight... does glitch your screen yeah yeah you fight the old version of the boss and then you glitch every 20 seconds you glitch back and forth between the two versions of the fight but it the state of the world is persistent between glitches so yeah. if the boss was in the middle of a wind-up for an attack and then it teleports out to the different version, when you go back, that wind-up is still happening and he's about mm-hmm. to lay the smack down. And it made for some really cool moments of, like, he's about to dive bomb and Jake will yell, watch out, and we'll cut out. And Jake's like, okay, everyone remember, in 15 seconds, we're going to have to roll yeah. like hell. Yeah, that's such a, it was such a cool mechanic. I almost get goosebumps. Like, it, it's such a cool mechanic. And the thing I noticed later on when I was thinking about it is it's thematically cool, too, because the more hurt the boss gets, like the lower its health, the faster the glitches happen. Like, it literally Mm -hmm. seems like we are degrading something. We are killing it. It is breaking down, and it's flipping between these two static states faster and faster as it panics. Mm -hmm. And that was cool to me. Very obnoxious when I tried to pick up Dave when he was dead on the ground, and it kept flipping me to the different world. Uh huh. Point I'm against it. I'm over here. Yeah, because yeah. you would Damn still you. be you would be on the ground in both states because your your player character didn't like revive yes. if he got carried over. But you guys might be in completely different locations on each state, mm-hmm. right? So like, I spend all this time running next to you. Swap. I am now all the way over here. Spend <laughs> all this time running next to you. It was not conducive to getting people back up, but no, I thematically. Easily the coolest fucking boss. Like, that was such a hype moment. And it became a moment where we actually needed to plan out, like, our builds. And then the call-outs that Jake was doing for, like, hey, heads up. And then it was cool to see us, like, synchronize. Like, okay, we got a roll now. I Uh consistently fuck up the roll. But (laughs) it was very exciting and fun to do. Um, It was really cool when we all made it, though. Because I I distinctly remember us all getting one of those split second dodges after a transition, a scene transition. I was like, I was ready for it to like pop a heel, and I like looked at the health bar. I was like, completely unnecessary. We're all good. Yeah, we we're good at this. We've we've been at it for an hour now. (laughs) Yeah. The only point I would say against it is, um, maybe it's because I have older eyes now, but it was so visually fucking busy on that second phase that Mm -hmm. I had. Again, I was just constantly being healed by other people and panicking. I don't think I contributed during those sections at all. I I don't think it was you. I definitely agree. It was, like, chaotic. It was very busy. Um, Like, a visual overload. It didn't hurt that the boss was red, and so was the area he was in. Mm -hmm. Like, I think at that, when we transitioned, I had to pick Hunter. Because Hunters can mark, like, highlight enemies. And yeah. it was so much easier to hit the boss during those segments when you can actually tell him apart from the background. Mm-hmm. I agree with that entirely. Like it was, it was m- second phase in particular was an absolute mess because first phase was mostly the backdrop was largely abyss. You're mm-hmm. just fighting large dragon-like creature, so you could lose him sometimes. But it felt like that was kind of intentional for the fight where he's like flying around and stuff. Um, Phase two, it was like a readability problem, right? Yeah. Like 
if I, I don't know what kind of color uh, blindness settings they have for the game, but they better have some good ones or else that Ooh. fight would be the worst. It's just um, a solid red screen. Uh, <laughs> What's happening? My health's going down, I think. Um, and it really like, it's a shame because aesthetically and thematically, like I would love to see that from third person view with like the ability to rotate and stuff like that. But uh. like over the shoulder like aiming down sights or something like that it's just it's too much information um they could have made the area larger or maybe redesigned it but that core mechanic of jumping back and forth is the thing that's yeah. just because that at that point me. like the music kicks in too mm-hmm. oh yeah oh, it's just it's so good yeah it's I, i'm surprised there haven't been more games that are like hey we're going to interrupt your boss fight with a boss fight yeah um, but that's pretty much what this is mm-hmm. i do F- I was gonna Go say ahead. I do like that they, because Dark Souls at a point became known for like, uh, how many phases is this boss? Because you're uh-huh. like, I beat the first phase, and they're like, that's cute. Uh-huh. Like uh, Sister Frida is like, <laughs> oh, oh, oh. So it was nice to see them do that. I don't know if it's just homage or just a very cool thing for them to do. But I don't remember. They might have done it for the last boss in Remnant One, but I don't mm-hmm. think it was ever done for any of the other bosses. Yeah, I don't remember much from the ending of Remnant 1. I almost, I don't think this is correct. I almost have an impression that there were like quick time events or something, but it, I don't know. It was I different than this. Yeah, I don't remember much of Remnant 1's last boss. I can remember it visually what it was, but I can't remember how the fight progressed beyond like one of the core mechanics that involved dragging you into like a dream world and then having to kill as many things as possible with declining yeah, health before right. you left thing taking me back um this one was better but it is very it's very remnant i think that they have like such a novel idea or such a great idea and then they kind of just like muck up part of it Mm -hmm. right it's just Mm -hmm. like it's amazing and i had trouble keeping track of everything that was happening yeah i would definitely Um, say i mean uh remnant uh, because i we actually missed this at the beginning of the podcast remnant is made by gunfire games mm -hmm. and uh published by gearbox Right. of other multiplayer looter shooter fame. Uh, and it's it's a $50 video game at, on mm-hmm. release. Did they it, they looked at people jumping up to $70 and said, "Well, how about we just do the opposite and go down to 50?" Uh-huh. And for a $50 game, like they they're selling it at a discounted price compared to everything else and it's still what I would argue one of the best games I've played in the last 6 months. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a double A game is how I've heard it described. Yeah, it's like it's not indie; it's a small team, but it's not like one of these massive games. And for that, with that within scope, at fifty dollars, I think it's very reasonable, especially mm-hmm. if you are planning to like play through it with friends. Just understand, make sure you have the same rule set for when you're going to play together, um, and know that if you deviate from that, you will see things other people will not see. Um, unless you spend a lot of time in the game. <laughs> um, but, yeah, also no relation to um, uh, Gunfire Reborn, which is the subsequent <laughs> developer um, and a completely separate game. But Yeah, this trilogy's getting really weird. Remnant from <laughs> the Ashes, Remnant 2, and then uh, Gunfire Reborn. Not Big art style change. Not yeah, sure when did I, I turn into it. a cat? Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think... I think here they play into their strengths. This is my this is my end, end of podcast recap on my thoughts. I think they play into their strengths a little bit more here. Um, unfortunately, they still have some of the weaknesses and their main characters. I actually like the non-main characters a lot more. I've told you yeah. guys that, but um, they need to cultivate that a little bit more. Just be like, hey, we don't even have a main quest. <laughs> that doesn't even exist. Yes. <laughs> Just go shoot things. Here's here's a I... planet you've never been before. Go go kill. Yeah. Yeah. I think they would definitely behoove uh, themselves to not focus on like a paper thin plot for the sake of it uh-huh. because it just feels dumb. Like if you want it to be, hey, it's a fun fantasy explore thing, lean into it, make it fun, make it. You could even meme on their the the audacity of having a main story, right? Mm-hmm. Like you don't really need a reason to go find these. Um, shits and giggles items like just say 
Oh, you gotta go do the thing. You can yeah. say go do the thing, literally, verbatim. Okay, good enough reason for me. But it feels weird of the juxtaposition of here's fun gameplay, really cool universes, into man, I sure hope this character I've talked to once is doing okay. <laughs> what are they up to now? We have to find them. And it, because it really just takes you out of that whole experience, I think. Yeah. Yeah, they've got, um, <clears throat> wonderful world development. Like, there's some background story going on yeah. involving loose, loose story spoilers, but we already gave the, the warning. Yeah, it's the... <laughs> like, Cold War type, the U.S. government found something, and instead of leaving it be, something eldritch, and instead of leaving it be, they were concerned that the Soviets, well, what if the Soviets have one? we got to figure this out just in case. And, yeah. of course, the government mucks it up, opens our reality to Cthulhu-esque horrors, and this is kind of, you know, hundreds of years in the future trying to figure out, you know, what happened, why... Why is the world like this, and how do we unscrew the world? Is it possible to even unscrew the world? And then there's this underlying theme that maybe all of reality is a simulation. Like, why are all these people in different planes and different positions of authority speaking in almost computer terms? Mm -hmm. Like, there's there's weirdness. Like, there's great kind of almost cosmic horror backgrounds to this. And all the main characters are like... What do you want? What can I do for you? Uh -huh. Gotta find Clementine. Like, you've got all of this room to play with, and you are concerned with the minutia. It really does. The, the B plot is much stronger than the A plot, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. Exactly. That's, that's, that's the issue. I really that's... thought the whole Asylum thing, which I had to re-roll and play solo to find and get, mm -hmm. was so fucking cool. Yeah, compared to everything true. else. Oh yeah, one of, one of the the peaks for me was the asylum. I think this is this is all. I I I would wrap this one up by saying like, this is a lesson they can learn from. They just need to go back to Dark Souls one. Obviously, their 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 roots that they draw from, not their roots. roots it's someone uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's someone else's roots, but they do draw from it. What do you got for a main quest? Well, there's two bells. One of them's low, one of them's high. Figure the rest out. That's it. That's what I knew about the main stop plot through the point that I beat the final boss. I had no idea what was happening in Dark Souls, <laughs> but I explored a lot because it was fun. Don't get in the way of people exploring a lot because it's fun. Just make a fun game. Let the rest fall into place. Yeah, I think my final, final thoughts, my final critique, uh, is I remember four or five years ago when Remnant 1 came out, um, my walk away from that was that it's really good and I'm going to watch this developer from here on out and see what they do in the future. Mm -hmm. And my critique or my, my review of Remnant 2 is just the same. They've improved. I, this is their next logical point and it's great. And I can't wait to see what they do in the future now. They're only getting better. If they keep learning their lessons, they're going to be AAA in no time. Yeah, if this is their Dark Souls 2, just wait for the Dark Souls 3. And, and then once they release it, I'll be like, Remnant 2 was the best one. I don't know what you guys are talking about. <laughs> I was leaning in as like, Jake has to do something with this comment, right? <laughs> yeah, I uh, definitely think Remnant 2 uh, is an improvement, but I, I haven't played Remnant 1 in so long, so I feel like I'm just, in my mind, placing it as, it was like Remnant 2, but not as good? I think that's, and that's just kind of correct. it. Um, I don't remember being crazily immersed in what was going on, but mm -hmm. I remember being excited to find and try new bosses, explore around with builds, and I did like some of the. It's really just a playing with friends game for me, mm -hmm. and I think it is solid at that. It is very fun to have people do diverse builds and try things out. Um, but yeah, like it feels easy for it to focus on the parts that are good and fun. And just kind of drop the things that suck. Because um, at least on the outside, it feels obvious to me. But again, that's based on my preferences. Um, but yeah, I'd like to see more of what they do in the future if they continue in this path. Yeah. No reason for them not to, really. Uh, I believe the game was very successful. Um, so uh, they earned it. All, all in all, they earned it. Um, but uh, I would like to thank Ian for coming uh, to the podcast once more 
being our guest uh, for what might be a combo at this point. As um, always, I appreciate the invite. And for suffering my spears in the back through the preparation for this episode. <laughs> it was funny the first time I lost 70% of my health out of nowhere. <laughs> I, I, I distinctly remember once throwing a spear into your back and then, like... You went down, and we were kind of fighting enemies at the time, so I had some plausible deniability. Like, oh, what is that attack? But I like, I, I had started walking over to you already to pick you up <laughs> and heal you. <laughs> yeah, it's a good time. Um, uh, but if you guys have any uh, advice uh, for those that might find themselves in a simulation, uh, jumping from world to world with only their firearms and their friends at their side, uh, please send that advice in. We apparently need it. Um, soapstonepodcast at gmail.com or you can join the discussion on Facebook which is its own post-apocalyptic society at this point at facebook.com slash soapstonepodcast and as always we'll see you in the next one have a good night pretty Dave pretty Dave